sermon that I had uh, intended to preach last week was the sermon that God intended me to preach this week. And so uh, we recognize his plan and his purposes, and we rest in those. But when we talk about storms, there are many kinds of storms, right? Uh, in, in Japan, uh, every summer around July, end of July, August, we would be ready for the storms of typhoon season. High winds where you, you don't go outside, you, anything that's on your veranda, you, you either bring inside or you nail down. You, you, uh, you're just ready for heavy rains, high winds, and uh, all, that, all that comes with that. Uh, another kind of storm we faced was uh, when a tornado went through our, our city and uh, where we were uh, living in, 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 uh, in Scuba, and that was, uh, that, that was new for us, a different kind of storm. But it was probably the storm that I faced last summer on the men's canoe trip that gave me special insight into today's passage, okay? I really feel like I, I got to know the disciples a little bit more through, uh, through that experience. Uh, our group had set out early in the morning in three canoes, and when we, when we left, the rain was already falling. Uh, I had gotten paired up with uh, Patrick, who is part uh, Olympian strength and outdoors, you know, street smarts. He's, he's the guy that you want to be in a canoe with. So I was feeling very confident, and I was mostly thinking about the rain. So I, I knew the rain was c- coming down, and so I was ready for, for the rain. I had... Uh, I had waterproof jacket, waterproof pants, I had waterproof backpack. I was ready for the rain. What I didn't realize was that the rain was the least of my problems. Uh, when when we, we, got, uh, we got going, we, we, uh, we decided because of the storm, we were going to just hug, hug the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the side of the, uh, of the lake and stay close and uh, shouldn't be any problems. Anyway, we set out, get round one of the bends, and before long, we look around and we realize we're the only, we, we don't know where the other two canoes are. We don't know what's happened to them. And now you have the storm with the addition of feeling like, okay, we're the only canoes on the lake. What's going on? So the, the sense of being alone in a storm adds something to the, uh, to the drama of it. Next, we realize that when the packs were distributed in the canoes, the packs were distributed evenly, but we didn't happen to get the pack that had any food in it. So as we were doing some mental calculations of what it was going to be like if we had to spend the night out on uh, somewhere in this uh, 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 provincial park, we were going to have to do so without food. And uh, again, that added to some of the dra- drama. Then the real problem started because hugging the shore was, was fine, but at a certain point we needed to get across this channel in order to get to where we had uh, booked a, a campsite and we were going to stay. As we did so, we, we got out into it, and at one point, and actually for some time, Patrick and I were rowing as hard as we possibly could And as we looked at the shore and around us, it was clear we actually weren't moving. Uh, There's nothing more unsettling than being out in the middle of a lake, rowing as hard as you can with a storm around you and knowing you can't go anywhere. You're actually not not moving. And it's all that you can do to just stay uh, stay put. Uh, 
what was even worse than that was as the winds continued to uh, hit us, the waves obviously increased. And they, so then they start coming in over the top of the canoe. We start taking water, and we're like, what on earth are we going to do? And uh, somehow, by God's grace, we got through the storm. We got across the channel. And by the, I tell you, when we were on the other side of it, the relief that... Uh, not only, not only were we not going to drown, but we were actually through to the other side and uh, uh, we could touch land again. And, and, uh, and then soon after, we saw uh, the other two canoes and found ourselves through that. Now, this is not a very good um, promotional piece for this year's canoe trip, but, but you, you learn some things in the midst of uh, some of the storms that God bring, brings us to. Now, whether you're into the outdoors or not, this storm... We are all going to face storms in life. They come in different sizes and different shapes. Uh, very often, they're not, they're not ice storms or, or typhoons. It, those storms will come, but often in our lives, it's the storms related to, to our health, storms related to, to finances or your job at work or people or, or family. They, they're... There are those kinds of storms that hit us, and when we're honest, they, they feel like they're going to sink us. And so today we look at a passage where I think God is intending to show us where he is in the storm, what he is doing in the midst of the storms of life, because often we look at them and we think, wow, God's not there. You know, when it's sunny on a day like today, we're like, oh boy, the beautiful sun that God has provided for us. When the hail is coming down and it's covered in ice, nobody's thinking, wow, look at the beautiful wonder of God that he's provided. We're like, where's God in this? Like, what's, what's God doing? And what, what are his purposes? And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me. We've been in a, uh, in a series from John chapter 6 and 7. And I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6 from verses 16 to 21. John 6, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, this passage, I believe, gives us a start in helping, to, helping us to understand what God is actually doing in the storms of life. And the first thing we realize is that sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm, that he has, he has purposes and plans, he has uh, a, 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 an idea an idea of how he can use the different things that come in our lives. I want him to forecast sunshine every day, but God has purposes, and sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. Now, the passage starts by telling us the time. It gives us some idea of context, uh, and the time is important here. In verse 16, it says, when evening came, but it's already been quite a day, right? If you were here with us two weeks ago, we saw just what a day it was. The, the crowds had been really hounding the 
Jesus and the disciples uh, for some time at this point. And they had seen his miracles. They wanted to learn more. They, they wanted to, to see more. And so they're chasing him all over the uh, Judean countryside. At a certain point, he decides, let's get away from this. The, he, he gets the, himself and the disciples off to a secluded mountainside, and he thinks, okay, we'll get some rest finally. But the crowd catches up with them. They gather around him. He decides, we've got to feed them. And so you have this feeding of the 5,000. Those were the men and with women and children included. Maybe there's some 15,000 people that Jesus miraculously feeds and then it says, and there were basketfuls left over. So that's where, we're, that's where we're starting off with. It's been an incredible day for everyone. It's been one of those mountaintop experiences, both literally and spiritually. And so in verse 16, when John writes, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. In one sense, it's just describing the disciples' movement. In another sense, it feels like an omen. Because often, mountaintop experiences are followed by valleys. The disciples had been wowed on the mountaintop, but now they're coming back to reality. Now they have to come down from the mountain, and they're going to face some things. In verse 17, the disciples get into the boat and start across the sea. Now, if they're hoping that Jesus would have joined them by now, had caught up to them by now, had, had, was going to get into the boat, they're disappointed because he's not there. John simply records, it was, now it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. So they're alone on the, in the dark on the sea. And life often feels like that. Often the mountaintop experiences followed by the valleys. And it seems that there's, there's purpose in that. Uh, when Elijah had that showdown with the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Ebal, it was an incredible experience. He had experienced amazing power from God. And yet, right after that, you have that, uh, that, that scene where, where Jezebel is chasing after him and breathing out threats on him, and he just feels undone and wants to give up. Often, mountaintop experiences are followed by valleys. And I think that's it's, it's not something that we're looking for. It's not something that we want to see God do in our lives. We would like to see a continuing stream of successive mountaintop experiences, and that doesn't seem to be part of God's plan for us. Often it seems that God wants us to learn something on the mountaintop, and then as we go down and we face the valley, to try and put it into practice, to try and take what we've learned from him here and put it into practice and live it out down here. Now, by verse 18, the disciples are feeling a little bit like Patrick and me did. John writes that the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Doesn't mention anything about the rain. As I learned, the rain doesn't really matter. Uh, the wind is what you need to worry about. And here, the wind is strong and the sea, of sea is rough. The Sea of Galilee is an unusual sea because it's actually 600 feet below sea level, right? So often that meant that the sea, the, the water, uh, the air above the sea was quite warm. But when you had a cold wind come in, it would very quickly mix up those two, two pressure systems and you would have often violent squalls would, would lift up. 
Today, even if you go to the Sea of Galilee, you don't need to just be out on a canoe or in a boat with, with oars. Uh, you can be on a motorboat, and if there's one of these storms come up, you dock your, your boat uh, on the shore and you, you get out because it's, uh, it, it can often become very violent. Storms like this will test us. They test our faith. They test our ability to cope. Uh, they test who we are and how, who we trust in. And, and they test our confidence. They test many things about our life. In verse 19, it shows that they had rowed for three or four miles. It's an important little marker there because, first of all, it shows us it is, we have eyewitness testimony. You don't have little details like that about the actual length of time that was uh, that, that was rowed, unless someone was actually there and, and, and some things were actually thought out and, and, and afterwards recorded. But it's also important because the Sea of Galilee was about six miles across. And so if they were at about the three or four mile mark, that put them at about halfway. They're, they've gone far enough that if they wanted to turn back, they've kind of gone too far now. They're in the middle of the lake, in the midst of the storm, they're surrounded by darkness, and it's feeling a little overwhelming. Sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. This doesn't get any emphasis in John's account, but when Mark records uh, uh, the same ev- event, he says Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So it wasn't as if the disciples had somehow rushed ahead of Jesus. It wasn't as if they'd just gone ahead of him and this, this was their foolishness or somehow they hadn't planned. Jesus gets them into the boat. He sends them out. It was his plan. It was his purpose. And it wasn't as if he didn't know a storm was coming. It wasn't as if Jesus was kind of taken aback by this and he didn't know what they would eventually be facing. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says that Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now, if you were just reading that in your E100 reading and you came across that, you think, okay, nice. Jesus saw that, hey, the, kind of the rowing is tough, so he kind of zipped on over there and walked on the water and, and delivered them from that, right? That, that's kind of the impression that you might get. But do you know when the fourth watch of the night is? That's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., so here you picture the, the disciples have been rowing for most of the night. Now it's maybe four o'clock in the morning. And Jesus not only set them out into the darkness, not only set them out knowing that the storm was coming, but he sees them rowing painfully against this. And at about four o'clock in the morning, probably, he says, that's about enough. And he goes to them. He approaches them. Jesus knew what they'd be walking into. He knew how painful it was for them. And it's a recognition that somehow this is sometimes God's part of God's loving plan for us. Uh, God's loving plan for us that he would send us into the storm that we might learn from it. So often it's mountaintop experiences God wants to learn from, And then when we go down into the valley, we put them into practice. What we had learned is now tested and and, uh, asked of us. 
Jesus had learned this himself from the Father, right? Remember that when Jesus was baptized, you had that incredible, incredible event. It it must have been remarkable to see the Holy Spirit fall like like a dove. It must have been incredible to hear that booming voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But do you know what the very next verse says? The very next verse after that, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals. You kind of were hoping, like with that amazing baptism, that there was going to be some, some, some happy days, some, some, some easy, easy days to follow, right? And yet immediately into the desert. There were lessons to apply in the wilderness. There were things that even Jesus could only learn in the midst of living out what he understood to be his, his, his calling. He learned through obedience. He learned through facing the worst that Satan could throw at him that God was enough, that his father's resources were enough, that he could stand in the midst of anything that the world would throw against him because he was the beloved son of God. As I look back through the lessons that I've learned, most of them have come in the storm, not in the Bible study. I've, 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 learned, I've learned things in the Bible study, but they've, they've gotten into me in the midst of the storm. I've heard things through sermons, but they have gotten lived out and they have become a part of me in the storm. As I look back, the things that God has, has worked into my life, those deep lessons, they've come through unemployment. They've come through sickness, through failure, through financial stress, through conflicts with people. It, it just, that's, where, that's where the lessons take root. That's where the word of God that we have heard in times of quietness and calm, that's where it gets a, a hold of us in a way that becomes personalized, and we lay hold of it. It's part of God's good plan. Sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. So what can we learn in the storm? What, what's God really doing? Like, what's his purpose in it? There are probably many lessons, but with the disciples on the water, one stood out. It was in the storm that the disciples realized whom they really ought to fear. As they came through on the other side, they would look back and they would say that there was something that took place in the midst of that storm that changed their their understanding uh, of Jesus, their understanding of uh, his power in their lives. It's in the storm that we realize whom we really ought to fear. And verse 19, the disciples are in the middle of a violent storm. They've rowed out into the middle of the lake. Uh, they're, They're there and it's about maybe 4 or 5 a.m., no turning back. Suddenly they see Jesus, and he's coming to them, and they see him walking on the water. The verse says that they saw him walking on the sea and coming near the boat. We need to pause and say, Jesus really walked on the water, right? Like everything in our modern minds wants us to say, that's crazy, people don't do that. It's not very scientific. And so people will try to look for more scientific, more natural explanations of how this could could have taken place. Some people say maybe Jesus was just walking 
by the sea, not on the sea. But if that's the case, there's really no explanation for why the disciples were frightened at the, at the appearance. It was the fact that it was so unusual, that it was so remarkable that caused them to fear what they were seeing. Often, people will criticize the Bible and Christians that their message doesn't really hold up to intellectual scrutiny. That's why I love uh, a man by the name of Doron Knopf. Doron Knopf, which, and that's a great name, by the way, Doron Knopf is a, uh, a professor of paleolimnology. Okay? Now, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of paleolimnology, but it's a study of lakes. There are, there are researchers and scientists around the world who love to study lakes, and he is one of them. And Dr. Knopf uh, set out to see whether there might be a more scientific explanation, a more believable explanation for what had actually taken place here. In 2006, he published an article that said that an odd and unusual combination of atmospheric conditions may have caused very rare patches of floating ice on the Sea of Galilee. He then estimated this very unusual phenomenon likely only occurs once every thousand years, but that Jesus may have, not, may have actually not been walking on the water, but in fact floating on a piece of ice. Now, I, I'm still trying to picture a respected scientist publishing with a straight face an, an article in, a, in an otherwise respectable journal arguing that Jesus surfed for three or four miles on a piece of ice. Like, that is an incredible assertion. And I, I, I personally, I don't have enough faith to, to believe that. Um, so I'm just going to go with the eyewitness testimony that Jesus actually walked on the water. For me, that seems far, easy, far easier to believe than uh, any idea that Jesus may have surfed for three miles on a piece of ice that only would have occurred possibly every thousand years. Anyway, eyewitness testimony, Jesus actually walked on the water. Perhaps a bigger surprise than Jesus walking in the water is how the disciples react. If you look in verse 19, it says, they see Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and it says they were frightened. That's interesting. It's an interesting note because up until now, even though they're like in the dark, even though it's in the middle of the night, even though they've been, they've been rowing through this storm and in their middle now, too late to turn back, painful headway, it's, it's a really um, incredible set of circumstances they find themselves in. But up until now, nothing's mentioned about their fear. They probably were quite, quite fearful, but up until now, nothing mentioned about it. They see Jesus, now they're frightened. Why is that? The storm was rough, but they'd seen storms before. They're fishermen. They, they could relate to that. But when they see their master, their teacher, coming to them, walking on the water, they realize he possesses a power that they have never experienced before. He's more powerful than the storm. He's more powerful than the sea. And in their experience as fishermen, they didn't know anything more powerful than the sea. If he's able to do this, what else could he do? What other power might he possess? And 
It was that that frightened him. They realized that he was someone to be feared. And so often that's what happens in the storms of life. It's in the storm that we realize whom we ought to fear. I wonder if you've learned that fear of God yet. Have you learned that Jesus is the one that we truly need to fear? Someone has said that you will either fear God or you will fear everything but God. You will either fear God or you will fear all of the circumstances that feel like they're more fearful than God. When you come to a healthy sense of fear and reverence of Jesus, it changes. You don't fear people the way you used to. You don't fear sickness the way you used to. You don't fear death the way that you used to. Like the fishermen on the sea, you, they, you will feel a sense of, oh wow, this is, this is really a big deal. But it will be accompanied by a sense of, yeah, but Jesus is a bigger deal. He is more powerful. He is more to be feared than any of these things that are in my way. In the storm, you realize Jesus is more powerful than any of these things, and you realize that he is more precious than anything that you might lose in that storm. Proverbs 14.26 says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Here it says that the fear of God fosters a fearlessness, and that fearlessness instills security in the people around you. It provides a refuge. It provides a sense of, of, of peace for others. When you trust in a God who is greater than the storm, it gives a sense of confidence to the people around you that there can be peace in that storm, that there is someone who can be trusted in the midst of that storm. Because it's only in the storm that we realize that God is greater than the storm. In, it's in our sickness that we realize God is greater than our health. It's in our unemployment that we realize that God is greater than our career. It's in death that we realize God is greater than our bank account. It's in that storm that God teaches us things about himself and he helps us to see he is bigger than them. He is greater than them. And yes, he is to be more feared than any of those things. Sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. But as painful as that is, and as much as none of, none of us want to, to welcome this or, or to walk into it, it's in the storm that we realize whom we really ought to fear. Finally, the passage shows us that we're better for the storms that we've trusted Jesus in. Because God does something good in the storm. He does something good in our lives when we trust him with our trials. It's not automatic though, right? Storms can make us bitter. Storms can make us self-righteous. They, they can make us worse. They can make us uh, uh, fearful and worrisome. But we're better for the storms that we've trusted Jesus in. I want you to see how the disciples, how Jesus responds to the disciples who are fearful in the storm. Now, he's, he's walked on the water. He's walked across the sea to the place where they are. But what will he say to the disciples to calm their fears? How will, he, how will he engage them now in a way that will, like, 
They're, they're terrified at who Jesus is and all that they see that he now possesses. What will he say to them? Verse 20 records his words. He just says, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. That's so different than what we say to people in their trials, right? It's so different than what we say to ourselves when we find ourselves in the midst of the storms of life. We say things like, don't worry, it's going to get better. We say things like, every cloud has a silver lining. We say things like, it's not as bad as you think. There are other people who have it much worse. (laughs) And none of those things really has the... It really helps often. None of those things really, some some of those things just aren't true, right? And none of those things really have uh, have the the power to to help us. And I think that's why Jesus says something different than that. Jesus isn't just the God of better circumstances. He's not just the person that says, boy, this is really rough, but it'll, it'll get better tomorrow. He wants us to do something different in the midst of the storm. He doesn't minimize the storm, he maximizes himself. He doesn't just say, put your mind off this storm. He says, put your eyes on me. He doesn't play down what we're facing, he plays up our understanding of who he is. Because ultimately it's only him and our faith and trust in him that will help us to ride through the storm. Jesus' goal isn't to serve up a series of mountaintop experiences for us throughout this life. Those, if, if we were given a series of mountaintop experiences like that, they would be so comfortable and we would feel so relaxed that our hearts and our minds would very seldom look to him. We would go through this life not having to depend on him, not having to trust in him, and we would be on autopilot, enjoying the sunny days, but never learning to trust in the one who is Lord above the storm. We turn our backs on him. Out on the water, these fishermen disciples on a regular day said, we got this. Like, we know the water. We, we got the sea figured out. But the storm forced them to recognize their vulnerability and their need. It forced them to see that they could not walk walk through the, the, the storm on their own, but there was one whom they could trust in the midst of it. Outside of the storm, we often build our lives like the like the disciples did. We build our lives on things that we're good at, things that we're confident in, and. In the storm, we realize we need to build our lives not on our own competencies, but on Jesus Christ. We need to build ourselves on his foundation. He's the Lord over the storm, not just the God of better circumstances. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm okay with this. I was kind of hoping that Jesus just makes everything better. I don't want to just meet Jesus in the storm. I, like, I kind of like the God of better circumstances. I kind of like someone who will 
just fix everything. And I think if we're honest, we, we all feel like that, right? We, we all want someone to just fix some. We just want someone who can snap his fingers and make it all go away. And we want the scriptures to tell us that's what, that's what God does. But treating Jesus like the God of better circumstances doesn't make him one. It doesn't, it doesn't make him conform to our mold just because we want it to be so. And the fact is that he does something in our lives when we trust him in the trials. When we lay hold of him in the midst of the storms, he does something that is powerful and is strengthening and it, there's no other way that we can, we can get to that place. When Jesus shows them who he is and he urges them not to be afraid, verse 21 says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. It doesn't mention yet that he took away all the storm. It says, when they recognized who he was, they heard his words not to be afraid. It says, then they were glad. They took him into the boat. Jesus does something when we trust him in, in our trials, and he gives us a joy in the midst of the storm. Experiencing the power of Jesus' presence breeds this fearlessness in us. It gives us a confidence for life. You, you know when you have met someone who has laid hold of the power of God in the midst of very difficult circumstances, in the midst of great suffering, you can see something different in their life. You can see a power and a confidence and a strength that you just don't get sitting on the beach. Something different that God does in people's lives. Psalm 118 verse 6 expresses that confidence like this. It says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Well, man can kill you. Man can beat you and attack you and, and gossip about you. And, and there's all kinds of things that man can do to you, right? But the psalmist says, yeah, but the Lord's on my side. He's my strength. He's by my side. What, compared to that, but compared to what I have in him, what is there in this world that is going to, to rob my confidence, is going to steal my joy? What is there that can, can take what he's given me? And the answer is nothing. And so he says, I will not fear. You don't develop that kind of confidence in a Bible study. And, and I'm big on Bible studies because you, you don't have the wisdom and the strength to, to learn from if you, don't, if you haven't been in the Bible study when you walk into that trial. But when we lay hold of Jesus in the midst of our trials, we're better for the storms. He changes us. Now, God uses the circumstances of our lives for his good purposes. And when those purposes are fulfilled, he can take them away. He can take them away very quickly. Did you notice what happened when the disciples took Jesus into the boat? Verse 21 says, they were glad to take him into the boat. I'll bet they were. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. You're like, wait a second, we were at the three or four mile mark. We're kind of right in the middle of the sea. Now they're immediately on the other side. Now, we need to say Jesus doesn't always do this. Like this isn't, he doesn't have to, he isn't obligated. Every time we invite him in, in the midst of the storm, he just transports us out of it. But on this occasion, it served his purpose. On this occasion, he immediately delivered the disciples from the storm 
And it was to show that he was the Lord over the storm. It was to show that they had learned the lesson of that storm, that rowing through the night till 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, that was enough. They had learned the lesson. They had come to fear him. They had come to trust him. And now there wasn't any more need for it. And as soon as there wasn't any more need for that trial, he took them out of that trial. Like I said, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't operate on our timetable. We don't snap our fingers and he takes things away. But we can have confidence that he won't let our trials last any longer than they are useful to us. He demonstrated he's the one that's spoken of in Psalm 89.9 where it says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still, you still them. Have you, have you tested your faith in the midst of trial? Have you laid hold of Jesus in the thick of the storm that you can say, he was there and I laid hold of him. I called upon him. I trusted him. And he's given me confidence now. He's given me a fearlessness because I fear him more than anything that this world could take from me. I can think of three different ways a passage like this could be applied. Maybe some of you here this morning are kind of going through life and you recognize, if you think of this storm, you think, I am rowing through, not only rowing through the storms of life on my own, I think I'm just rowing through life on my own. This idea of looking to someone else to trust, uh, looking to a savior, looking to just, just trusting my life to someone else like this, giving myself to Jesus Christ, that just hasn't been on your radar. And if you've never personally reached out to Jesus Christ and put your trust in him, I'd encourage you to do that. There, there is no one that will give you strength in the storms like Jesus can. But there's also, there's also no one who has rode through to road to heaven on, on their own strength. You, you don't get it. We, we are all in a storm, and the scriptures warn that that storm is just building. Nobody will stand before God on the basis of their own righteousness, their own goodness, their own ability, their own competency. It only comes as we trust in him and trust him with everything that we have. Maybe another way you could apply this passage is some of you have trusted Jesus Christ with your life, but you feel alone in the storm. You just haven't been able to rest in your, in your Savior. You haven't been able to lay hold of him. And, and often what happens is that there are things in our lives that we hold on to and that are more precious to us than, than Jesus himself. We haven't really learned to fear him more than we fear the storm. And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to focus on him and let his presence, his strength give you peace amidst the storm. Finally, some of you aren't in a storm, frankly. Finally, some of you have sunny skies and, and uh you're happy to know that Jesus helps other people in the storm, but you're feeling pretty good this morning. And one of the ways that I encourage you to apply this passage is that if you're not in a storm right now, 
then God has given you some margin. He's given you some margin to minister to other people who are in the storm. And you do that today because you know that your day will come. A very simple thing that you can do, if you're not getting the prayer guide that I send out every Wednesday at 7 p.m., if you're not getting a copy of that, I'd encourage you to get a copy and begin to pray through some of the needs that we lift up before our, our congregation every week. Begin to pray for people that are in the storm. Begin to reach out to them. Encourage people. Look around you for others that are in the midst of the storm. Build the kind of relationships today that will give you strength so, so that you're not like Patrick and I. We're feeling, boy, we're, we're, out in the, we're, we're, we're all alone here. I don't know what happened. We're just, we're, we're, we're out, on the, out on the sea with no one to help. Use the margin that God has given you to serve others in the midst of the storm. And let's all lay hold of the one who we realize in the storm is to be feared more than anything that the storm might take from us. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the great hope that there is in your word. I pray for anyone here this morning who's feeling overwhelmed. Maybe it just all feels like it's too much. Help them, Father, to turn to Jesus Christ. And may they find in him whatever whatever help they need to face the circumstances they're in. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that Jesus is the one that we really need to fear. He's the one we really need to lay hold of. He's our peace in the storm. He's the one who walks in the water. And Father, help us to be a community of compassion. Help us to notice one another. Help us to pray for one another. Help us to care for one another, even as you do all these things and more. We ask you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.